Welcome to the Green Data Center Podcast. This time, let's talk about Facebook since they've been in the news a little bit lately. We'll cover a little bit more about beyond what's in the news about their data centers dropping and why, why that happened, but also some of the things about Facebook and their sustainability programs. It is a good story for Facebook and they do seem to have a great approach for sustainability, energy, and water savings. So we'll jump into that in some of those details. Also, do check out the website, greendatacenterman.com. There's a lot of articles there. There are links to other associations and groups that can help out at any point, as well as some courses that you can look into as well to get uh, the latest and greatest on the data center industry. All right, let's jump into it. So Facebook and their data centers went down on October 4th and they went down for about six hours on the fourth and then they went down for a couple more hours on, if I remember right, the eighth, um, which is a Friday. So basically they were down for a couple of different times and where where that come from, how, etc. So you start to dig into that and that's one of the things that most of the data center companies out there, they want to know what the root causes are. And you figure out those root causes, you figure out what's wrong, what were you doing right, do you just roll back to what you had before, or do you try to fix and repair? Well, right off the top, it had nothing to do with their data centers. All right, nothing on the physical side, nothing on the power, space, cooling, any of that. Whenever it came down to it, the outage was triggered by the systems that manage all of their backbones to their network and that network capacity. And uh, if you want to think of it like that traffic cop or the sort of that router that sort of says where traffic needs to go, that sort of started to have trouble and it just would say, you know what, we're not available right now. So it would send messages back that said it couldn't be connected. Um, and basically whenever you have that happen and you're routing across all those different fiber optic cables throughout the globe, they're linking everything, that backbone, that network that they were relying on, uh, basically on the updates to that, that went a little bit sideways so suddenly it dropped and then they you know basically had to roll things back within six hours they bounced right back up and for a company like facebook they're going to be masters at it and six hours is within you know the the limits of reason here um and it's not unexpected that a data center network like that might go down for such reasons but of course you hope that they would test it beforehand um and that's one of the things that They've released an article, others have looked into it, uh, like Cloudflare and, and others, um, you know, just sort of looking at what happened and why and how to prevent that from happening again. And the other thing is, whenever you're doing that testing and you test that out to say, you know what, we think this is going to work, it's going to work, okay, let's go ahead and implement that. And you revamp that backbone network to try to uh, handle all of that traffic it might be a little bit burdensome. Maybe it wasn't tested at scale, those kinds of things. So a lot of those details are a little bit hidden behind what Facebook has to offer. And that's okay. That's part of their secret sauce, you know, that a lot of those data center providers, those uh, companies have that they don't really want to share out there with the public. The details of what uh, really happened within Facebook might stay within Facebook walls, but ultimately, you know, they, they've got their networks that are connected to one another and they have their data centers, big and small. Uh, they operate in co-location facilities and massive data centers of their own 
all sorts of different sizes and forms. And those data centers are networked together by all of those backbones. So when you open your phone, you know, you, you look at your phone and you make a request, basically you pull up that phone, you make a request to see something. The data, it, it basically travels from your device to whatever nearest facility that is. And that's not always Facebook. That could be off another provider or wherever that is, but it's basically starting to be routed. And then that communicates back to the Facebook data centers and where they're located across what they have. And that's the backbone network that we're talking about that had that failure. So whenever you're making that connection, that's where the information needed by that app or uh, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever um, that you're using, it gets retrieved, it's processed basically and kicked back out, back to this across network, back to your phone or whatever device or however you're looking at that data. And that traffic between all those facilities and everything, it's managed by all those routers, all right? And those routers figure out where to send all the different traffic, incoming and outgoing data. And basically that's all big lift. So if you think about that, that day-to-day -day lift of all those routers and what's happening, yeah, we send a lot of email. We're getting upwards, you know, what is it, a billion email a day um, approximately. So yeah, we're, we're sending a lot of messages um, everywhere. And you think about all of that, there's a lot of maintenance that needs to go into that infrastructure. So the technicians, the engineers, they start to take a look at that, what that means for that backbone and what the equipment is. And they realize they need to do maintenance, routine maintenance of that. And that maintenance sometimes is just that. It's just maintenance, but sometimes it's about repairing something or adding more capacity or updating software or hardware or you know replacing the router itself whatever that is so they've got that swapping um, of that equipment and they have those planned uh, they're not necessarily planned outages but they're, it's planned to take that equipment offline and still keep all of the messages not have any bottlenecks at that point whenever they do take that equipment offline but that's basically where things fail uh, or failed on this particular network um, whenever they had that outage and it was during one of those maintenance jobs and this is also where regular data centers fail routine maintenance right that's how it was described as routine maintenance and they said you know what let's issue this command let's get this done with the attention to basically say okay what's that backbone capacity and instead of asking and basically trying to get that and assessing and taking a look it accidentally took down all the connections on all the backbone networks across everything across the world so yeah one guy's command and one spot can disconnect globally the entire backbone the network for facebook which of course took down not just facebook and instagram all, it's all their apps whatsapp and, and everything so everything from that was disconnected and would just send those messages back like yep can't find it so yeah you're you know we've we've got a bug or something like that. So that's what that disconnect really was. And of course, once you figure that out, you have to go back and dial that in to say, okay, what, does that, what just happened? Let's get it back up, figure it out and make the right move. And that can take time also. So whenever they are looking at those things, oftentimes there's a way that you can sort of say, okay, somebody is going to make this command. Somebody says, okay, they review it 
take a look at it and say, okay, you're okay to make that command or make this change across the network. Same thing can happen with a data center. Say you're, you're testing your generators or you're testing your air handlers or swapping some equipment out the, you know, at the server level, whatever that is, you can take a look at that and those same things will happen. There's preventative measures to prevent mistakes from happening that can take down, you know, your data center or take down your entire global network like Facebook had. Um, but sometimes there's errors in there. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, cascading effects. In this case, there was something with the, the uh, tools that they were using that uh, prevented things from stopping and, um, you know, going back to what they were before for those commands and those audits that they were doing and trying to make sure that they could do, get those reviews to make sure nothing would happen. So that's kind of what, uh, what Facebook was running into. But that can happen at, at so many different levels on that software level you know, on those command levels, on those tools, you know, at the router level, et cetera, all the way up to, you know, what's happening with, you know, the, the energy that's coming in from, say, the main utility to a, a number of data centers that might be in across a region. Maybe there's a, an outage or a storm that's affecting. How is that routing? How, how can that be routed so the other data centers in a different region maybe pick up the slack from that and your search take is just a little bit longer as opposed to uh, going out completely. So the other details of that are, you know, whenever you take your backbone offer, it says, hey, you know what, guess what? We don't have a discoverable network here. We have nothing for you to look at over here on our servers. That means it sort of goes away on the internet, right? You could still have your servers operating. Everything looks good, uh, you know, on your side, but then reconnecting to the internet can be a little bit of a hassle. Um, and there's servers that read things and you can dive into some of those other details about how that goes through and how that normally happens. But oftentimes you have to hap have that repopulate. And whenever you have an error like that, you take everything down and it says, hey, guess what? We're not available. They might cross you off and say, well, you're a little bit suspect. So we're going to leave you. You know, you're, you're saying that you're not exactly the best in the best shape to uh, have access, you know, give access to people to get to your servers. And that can happen incredibly fast, right? That can happen with in an eye blink. All of that can happen. And suddenly you don't have servers that can be discoverable. And whenever you have that, you need to start to react fast. But the thing is, whenever you have all those things happen, you have to have a few things, make sure that you can get your networks back online, even though you might be seeing everything there is security issues that go along with that as well. So there's certain certain possibilities where that can cause a wedge where, hey, we, we're seeing a security vulnerability here that they might take advantage of. And because of that, some of those engineers, those technicians, everyone that was facing that problem realized they had a few things they needed to work through first before they can just flip the switch back on between the broader internet and the Facebook servers themselves. But yeah, does it take six hours to really bring things back up? It, yeah, it can. And part of that reason is even if you're standing right next to those servers that need to be uh, reconnected to the internet and you have that physical access to them and everything, there is still like the system access and other security protocols so that you're not messing things up in a different way, a new way of breaking things. So there's a lot of those protocols that are also there to make sure that you don't do that. But there's a lot of that uh, system configurations and such to really streamline and make the systems efficient. 
and that can have its own access issues. So you have to get over those things. You have to have that familiarity. And because of that, you have to bring the teams in to make sure, yes, this is what we have, this is what we need. So you're making phone calls to bring people to the data centers or at least work online on the, on the servers and the networks and everything to make sure that they can confirm everything and bring everything back online. So you can bring a network uh, back online or backbone back online and restore it across you know, the data center, across the regions, etc. And you can restore everything with it. But there's a problem with that. It's not necessarily complicated, but it's a little bit of a, of a piecemeal approach where you need to figure out how fast you can bring things on. Because if you start flipping things back on all at the same time, you could have a surge in network traffic. You could also have a surge on the power side as well. And that's what I was taking a look at, a deeper dive on just understanding what that means for the power side. Now, the power for these data centers dipped. It dipped a lot, and it's not just by a megawatt or two. We're talking tens of megawatts per data center. And the reason is, is because they didn't have any network traffic anymore. They didn't have anything where people were making requests or any demands. So that data center that was using, say, 20 megawatts before, now it's down to, say, one megawatt for all these servers that are on, but maybe they're just idling. And maybe it's not even a megawatt if they're super efficient. So you have all of that, and that takes that dip. You need to sort of ramp that back up. And the same goes for that network traffic as well. It's the same thing. And in order to do that, you have to look at what your power grid can do and have some knowledge of what that has. And that takes some practice. So Facebook, along with others, they know what it means to have different storm events in different areas. So you have a thunderstorm or you have a hurricane or tornado, those kinds of things. They might shut down, say, a part of their data center, a part of their network, or maybe even the whole data center or even the region, just to test things out to see how it can be brought down safely and then how it can be brought back up safely so that they're not having any surges in the traffic, in the power use, those kinds of things, so that you can say, okay, we're going to start with this many generators to support the power use, and they'll roll off the generators as the power grid can go ahead and accept that much uh, hit to that, uh, that power that's also just suddenly a big flux coming back into the data center. So it's those kind of surges that can cause other issues, and you don't want that to happen either. But most data center providers, that, they are very good at that. They have run drills and they're doing that once a month. They'll exercise the generators, you know, just to make sure that they can get them online. They'll run, you know, bigger tests, you know, just black start tests or whatever you want to call them, just red out tests or whatever it is, where basically you have that data center and somebody pulls the plug on it or somebody you know, something happens to it and suddenly what does that mean for the batteries, the generators, those kinds of things? How does that happen? What happens with everything from the software all the way to the power grid? How does that affect one another? And by doing that with trial and error, you can flush out any sort of those bugs and you can figure out what that means. So I'm sure that Facebook probably had all their servers online. They were just in idle mode and they're ready to connect back to the internet, but they knew from all of those tests and all of those preparations beforehand, they couldn't just allow that flood of information to sort of pour back in. It would be like breaking a dam and, you know, let's just go ahead and make sure that we bring it on in a nice measured manner. And it can be fast. And next thing you know, you know, you bring it up from one megawatt to 10 megawatts, up to 20 megawatts where you were before, all within half an hour, maybe an hour. It doesn't take too terribly long to do that. 
The other part to that is I mentioned security and that was sort of those gates, some of those slowdowns for that six hours. And again, like another two hours, uh, you know, for what that meant for getting the data centers or getting basically the servers back online onto their networks. And that security is something that, you know, that's sort of that balance again. Do you give up some of that security and those protocols and some of those, uh, those things for efficiencies on getting back online quicker or do you have that uh, that security still in place and you come up with a different resiliency scheme it's probably more of that they're probably not going to drop back on any of the security measures even though a lot of people will say well how can you let this happen you have too many security protocols you have too many gates too many problems with that and it's really slowing things down whenever you need to bounce back fast. How many millions of dollars did you lose just from advertising alone or the, these different things? And sure, it's probably millions of dollars and, and such and, and beyond. But to give up that security in order to make sure that hopefully a one-time event uh, like this, uh, you know, if you have that happen even once a year, yeah, Facebook might look at that as a global outage once a year and say, you know what, that's actually kind of worth it to keep our high security protocols and everything like that, any malicious intent or anything like that from happening in or outside of our data centers or wherever that, that intent might come from, that security is definitely worth it. Now, of course, they're going to aim for having better reliability and everything, so I'm sure that they're going to say, you know what, we don't want this event to ever happen again. We don't want it to happen again in the next year. We don't want it to happen yearly. Uh, like a yearly outage or anything like that. So I'm sure that they're going to learn from these two events and uh, take that to the future. Um, and there's probably writing all sorts of papers about that to make sure it doesn't happen while they still maintain the highest levels of security that they can maintain. Okay, let's turn our focus to Facebook's overall efficiency, uh, water use, sustainability plans. And you can easily see that they've got a lot of things that they've already implemented and are doing pretty well. I mean, they do have a commitment to restoring more water than they consume by 2030. So that's right on their webpage and everything that they've got. So you can go ahead and check that out and uh, get into some of those granular details. But they've already done 100% renewable energy and they've looked at doing net zero emissions. So kudos to them. That's great. That That's great for them. They're doing that by basically buying their way out. I don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is they are buying and supporting other ways to go ahead and give them renewable energy so that they are paying back to the grid whatever they are consuming. Because not all their data centers are being directly uh, powered by wind, solar, etc. Um, and the same with the net zero emissions. They have to go ahead and partner with development agencies, et cetera, that are basically giving them credits that are doing offsets, renewable energy offsets, net zero emissions offsets, those kinds of things. But because of those commitments that they have and them being a really big consumer of data center space uh, and power and cooling, of course, the, the energy that goes into that, um, having them commit and meet some of those targets is, is pretty substantial. And that means that their data centers are also looking to be more water efficient. It's not just saying, okay, we're going to relieve, say, uh, you know, certain water conditions in certain areas where it's easy. 
it's in those highly stressed areas. It's also in areas where they know that their data centers are looking to consume a lot of water to be super efficient because evaporating water is really efficient for a data center. So they're looking at that on the technology side to see how, how much, how far can they push that to the edge with every single facility that they've got. Now, one of the ways that they are saving that water is by saying, you know what? by using renewable energy, we're actually offsetting the amount of fossil fuel water use. So there is a lot of water use that's, that's used in order to generate electricity by using fossil fuels. So a lot of people might ignore that, but Facebook, you know, they, they know the numbers, they've looked at it, it's not too hard to find how much water is going to cost you to say bring one megawatt of power to a facility. So they're also saying, you know what, we're not only saving power, so with all the renewable energy projects that we have, we're also saving this much water with each one of them as well. So it's, it's a little bit of double counting, but you know, it, it does count um, as far as that water saving. So good for them on all of that. Now more specific to their data centers, their data centers are all LEED certified and not just certified, gold certified. So if you take a look at what that LEED certification means and how that's evolved, it keeps getting, the bar keeps getting raised for certification and getting gold, etc. You can realize that they are really committed to the sustainability um, and making their data centers basically really efficient and really sustainable. So they've been doing a lot with their facilities and you know, over the last couple of years, it's not just the U.S., but they also have some in Denmark and Ireland that are also LEED Gold certified. And they have a, a LEED Platinum certified data center in Singapore. Well, I do take that back. They use a different uh, different one called Greenmark, and that's basically the one put forward by the Singapore government. But it's basically a, a LEED equivalent for having a green building. And you can check out that data center. It's actually pretty unique. If I remember right, it's 11 stories high, and it's got a different type of cooling system that's really efficient as well. And also part of that is they're looking at having construction companies use electric vehicles. And I do mention like electric bulldozers, et cetera, things like that. But the, you know, it's things like that that start to add up overall for the sustainability story that Facebook's able to tell. And that goes a lot towards saving energy overall, but it's looking beyond what's just that, hey, let's get our data center built and have it operationally be efficient and have a PUE of say 1.1 or so, which is you know a good PUE to have. Um, but it's also looking at how it's getting there, how it's being done. How do we make sure that every part of that process is more sustainable than it could be? And they're looking at that embodied carbon construction calculator, which is a way that they have uh, an ability to keep track of how much carbon the construction is going to be. So those construction teams can use that, the contractors can use that to figure out what that overall carbon footprint is going to be, as well as not just for construction, but as well as for what that, that overall building footprint carbon is going to be for the, the data center itself. Now, it would be remiss of me not to mention the Open Compute project, which stemmed basically out of Facebook. They jumped into it, uh, into data centers, both free first, whenever they did their data center back in 2010, they were saying, okay, we're going to invest in this massive facility. How do we trim away the fluff? How do we get rid of all the extras that we don't need 
make the servers the best they can be, make the racks the most efficient they can be, the layouts the best that are going to work for just the compute and for the operations and maintenance, so that that way we can not worry about having too much space, too much effort or those kinds of things go into this data center. And they had that as an open source project. And that open compute project is that. So they said, you know what, here's our site and it's at opencompute.org. You can go ahead and check that out and join any of the committees or subcommittees or sub subcommittees, work on different facets of different projects. And you can really realize what it means for the data center all the way down to the server, the chip, etc. Throughout the entire facility, you can look at all those different aspects. And throughout the years, people have contributed and had comments um, throughout that, that open compute project to say, okay, here's some possible improvements that we could be made, or let's revisit this to see what we can do to improve things overall for the facility or the servers. And not only that, they came up with an open compute project compliance so that if you have servers or racks or even a full data center, you can say, you know what, this is open com compute compliant. That means you can go ahead and if you know if your equipment is compliant with that, you can go ahead and insert that equipment without any uh, uh, special connections or anything like that. So you don't have to worry about the power supplies, whether they're going to fit within the, the server racks, those kinds of things. It all works out pretty well based on that that open compute sort of framework. And in that way, they've driven a lot of savings. And it's not just uh, energy and water savings, it, it's overall dollar savings too. Um, so that has taken effect worldwide. And it's been a lot of the Facebook people that have led that, but everyone from across the data center industry has taken part of that or has read through it or you know basically jumped into it to say, I'm gonna lead this committee or here's a high efficiency committee or high compute committee or those different things even on water source or just air source, whatever that, that is, they might take charge of that, lead a group that's also interested and figure out some of those frameworks that they can write up and go ahead and get published on the site. So other people can follow that and say, you know what, here's what it means to do liquid cooling at the chip, at the rack, at the whole data center, all those different things in order to make sure that those technologies and everything are also vetted and make sure that everyone that's going to have a, an open compute compliant data center um, can basically meet the same sort of standards across the world. That's everything for the Green Data Center podcast this time. We talked about Facebook a lot. And do check out their website, but don't drink Kool-Aid too much, right? You, you have to read between the lines of some of those things. And do check out the opencompute.org site as well. You'll see a lot of great information there from a lot of people that have contributed great amount of information and also distilled it down to some of those standards that you can look at as being a better, greener facility for a data center. Um, also check out greendatacenterman.com of course and you can see some of the uh, different courses that you have there including data center essentials on the mechanical and electrical as well as just general and you can see some links to some of the other places where you can get a lot of great information for data centers and especially how to make them more green. 